Therefore, these decisions are being made based on a medical basis. And we just have to ask ourselves, why? It's the same with the vaccine passport. It's not going to help anyone medically. So why is it being pushed so strongly? The only reason, the only thing I can come up with is division. Hello, Internet. Thanks for deciding to tune into this podcast. Things have been going really well recently, and I can only thank my audience for deciding to tune in. In the coming weeks, I have some really huge and fascinating interviews set for release, so please be sure to like, share, and subscribe if you want to help out the show, and make sure you don't miss any of the amazing content. Before we get started, I've just got a few short messages. First off, the first round of crowdfunding for my book, To The Moon, The GameStop Saga, has now come to an end. Thanks to everyone who contributed. I still have 20 spaces left in the acknowledgements for names, so if you want to pre-order the book and get your name in there as part of telling the wonderful story of The GameStop Saga, you'll find links to pre-order the book in the description below. Next up, I have two sponsors for the show today. First off, ExpressVPN, the internet's number one VPN. You can protect your browsing data from your internet provider and from prying eyes by going to ExpressVPN today and getting 35% off 12 months of ExpressVPN. Use it for privacy, safety, or just to watch Netflix shows from another part of the world. You'll be stunned at the amount of extra content you can access just by setting your location to somewhere new. Secondly, I have a wonderful podcast to tell you about. But no, it's not this one. Comedy and science are two concepts that naturally go together? Well, maybe not always, but Australian comedian Anthony Genot has found a way to fuse these two concepts. Highbrow Drivel is a podcast where scientists and academics meet comedians in a light-hearted and informative free-for-all chat. Each week, Anthony is joined by a new stand-up comedian and a new expert to discuss their field. Some of the latest episodes have included how the brain understands sound, what is burnout and why does it happen, and my personal favourite of the last few months, did hippies ruin psychedelics? Some of these issues can be difficult to tackle, so I personally love the combination of comedy and science that Highbrow Drivel provides. It makes me laugh, and teaches me new things at the same time, like a clown teaching philosophy. So if you want to hear the big topics of our generation, the brain, space, climate science, psychedelics, and beyond, discussed with both levity and humor, be sure to check out Highbrow Drivel wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find links for everything in the description below. Anyway, here's the podcast. Hello and welcome to another episode of Chatter. Today I am here with Calvin Robinson, conservative commentator, uh, talk radio host and newly appearing on GB News. Calvin, welcome to the show. Thank you for the invitation. It's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, well, I mean, I, you've you've come on my radar more and more. Uh, the first time I came across your uh, you on Twitter was when there was a clip that went semi-viral of someone of you accusing um another guy of of being racist uh, after he's uh, saying that you should have specific opinions based on the color of your skin yeah. and that's when i first came across you and i was like wow okay this guy's a little bit fiery so that's always <laughs> interesting to me 
try, I try not to be fiery. I try to be calm and reasonable. But that, I remember that clip. Uh, a chap called Ken Hines said, I should stick to my own and, and not criticize Meghan Markle because we're the same color. I was like, that's outrageous. Come on. Do people really think like that? And apparently they do. Yeah, unfortunately, that's that's kind of the world we live in sometimes these days. But um, there's not much that can be done about that, unfortunately. No. But uh, anyway, so uh, how would you describe uh, your politics yourself? Um, I would say, you know, I don't like using labels um, because, of course, people use these labels to pin you down. And say, but, you know, you should you should think this because you're a whatever. So, you know, I'm not a libertarian, although I believe in freedom. I'm not liberal. Uh, although I do believe that people should live their own individual lives without the state interfering. Um, I would say, I'd probably say I'm a small C conservative or centre-right or right-wing, whatever people want to use. I don't really care. All I know is I believe in democracy, the rule of law, um, the right to practice your own faith in this country, that, that family is the most important thing in our society, and that the state should support and encourage that, but not intervene in that, and that everyone should be able to live their own individual lives whilst recognizing that we're part of a larger community. Well, that's a nice way of, uh, of describing it. Do you think that the traditional uh, like markers of, of sort of left and right are even relevant in t- today's world? It feels like, it feels like we're in the midst of this really strange shift between like not only a flip in terms of uh, left and right sort of holding opinions that would have been completely just antithetical to what I thought they would have believed a few months or even a few years ago, yeah. um, to, to sort of a like authoritarian versus um, sort of more, I don't know, pro-freedom. I haven't even, co- I haven't found the right word for it, but do you think we're, that those traditional markers are, are even relevant anymore? Well, I mean, the left and right markers tend to mean your economic stance, don't they? So I'm very right-wing economically. I don't think that the, I don't believe in a welfare state other than a safety net. I don't think that everyone should get everything for free because there's no such thing as free and we all pay for it in the end. But I think where people get confused is, like you mentioned, the authoritarian slash liberal line. That's more north and south or up and down rather than left and right. So you can have people on the, on the right economically that are very left-wing socially uh, and it all does kind of make some sense. But I think we also forget that there's that horseshoe paradigm and people who end up on the very far left are very close to people on the very far right, which is why we see a lot of, you know, we mentioned at the opening of the show, people um, being racist and thinking that they're anti-racist, and that's because they're so far left-wing, so they're actually quite far right. Uh, and there's a lot of ground in the centre, a lot of centre-left, centre-right, and centrist people that see all this woke nonsense on the far left and see the extreme nonsense on the far right and think, I don't want any part in any of that, actually. Yeah, I, I do often find myself there. Um, that I, I, I talk to... The one of the things that, that that really strikes me actually is that I I'd sp- I spoke to Paul Mason about this a couple of days ago, and we were talking about uh, his new book, um, How to Stop Fascism. And I felt in the book that he was very hard on the right, but very give the left a very easy ride. And obviously, that's because he identifies as Marxist. That's kind of well his prerogative to 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 say that, um, but. The, the thing that I, I asked him about was whether he thought that the left and the right were having more and more of a difficult time sort of like pushing against the more extremes of both versions of that ideology. That, that like people, traditionally at least the right, had found it quite quite easy to sort of put a box around the, the, the abhorrent views, you know, the, mm-hmm. the, yeah, the ones that say, okay, based, that were very race-based or... or 
yeah, very extreme. And the, his argument was basically that that was bleeding in to the rest of the right wing. And I kind of pointed out that maybe that was happening on the left as well. That do you think we're finding it more difficult to define what is okay and like where the where basically where the crazy line is? Not in general. I think the problem we have is with ideologues, and you know people like Paul Mason are so far left at this point that everything else seems far right to them because the whole the Zen diagram has, has moved, you know, it's shifted so far in that direction. So for people like him, he probably see me as, a, as an extremist. And that, that's why we've, we're getting into these problems of not, let me put this another way. So when I see people on the right um, doing things that I, I think are abhorrent or not in our favor, I would challenge that. So I'm constantly challenging the conservative government, even though I helped campaign for them, even though I wanted them to win the election, I'm constantly calling them out where I think they're wrong. But what I don't see from people on the left is the same thing. So people like Paul Mason will back the Labour Party and say, no, it's not anti-Semitic, it's not anti-Semitic, anti-Semitic even though the evidence suggests that it is, and it's the first party in our history to be, to be uh, found guilty of institutional racism. But people have blinkers on because they're so ideologically focused on their own arguments that they don't address people on their own side. That's the problem. We all need to address not just the opposition, but people on our own side, in our own corners, who are not doing who are not being good people or not fighting the good fight in, in, in a good faith argument. Mm. Did you see the, the quote for, or the, the tweet yesterday, I think it was, from Dominic Cummings, who, who was basically uh, saying that the, the UK government were uh, punishing the people that might vote for them and uh, essentially that the, there needed to be regime change. And he got a lot of critique from people being like, well, you helped elect them. And... If the, we're, it feels like we're in this weird world where we can't um, we can't say or critique one side because it's like, oh well, you supported that idea once, you can't anymore. It's so tribal. So I, like I mentioned, I constantly criticise the Tory government because I want them to do well. I want them to be low low tax. I want them to be small state. I want them to to be pro business, a small to medium business as well as big business. And I want them to be anti-monopoly. I want them to be all the things that I thought they were. And when they're not, I call that out. But then people will say, but you voted for them. How dare you? It's like, well, yeah, just because I voted for them doesn't mean I'm going to blindly follow them and accept everything that they do. That's not okay. That would be ridiculous. We have to get out of these tribes. And, and the, the far left, the far right, it's all so ideological. We've got to get back to thinking what's in the best interest of the country, what's in the best interest of the individuals within the country, and all try and work together. It doesn't make any sense to criticise people for criticising their own side because that's what we need more of. And Dominic Cummings, you know, he's got he's a bit bitter and resentful. He's got reasons to be, but he's also right about what he said. The Tory government are not very conservative at the moment, and their policy is going to damage a lot of hardworking individuals, and that's not okay. Yeah, I mean, I don't, I don't understand why there's this idea that they um, that you shouldn't that because, like, especially on the left, it was like if you hate the Tories. Um, then you should be thankful that you have like a, a, a former employee of the highest level of the party, like on your side in this fight. You know, it's it's a weird dynamic where people aren't willing to accept allies because of like previously held opinions. It's kind, kind of like throw in that, um, what's the old adage? It's like the enemy of my enemy or the enemy of my enemy is my friend. And it kind of seems to throw that out the window for, for some weird reason, which, Kind of defeats their own, themselves before they've even started. So it's a yeah, it's, not, it's, it's a not strange. About, it's no longer about them um, taking their approach, like the left wing approach to economics or, or culture or whatever. It's more about them versus us. 
It's more about you are not one of us. You're not in our tribe. Therefore, you are the enemy. It doesn't matter if you agree with us anymore because you are you cut out of it. And that's just bonkers. But that's where people are. A lot of it started, I believe, around Brexit. Everything became so tribal around Brexit. You're either a Brexiteer or you're a Remainer. And now it's, you know, you're either a vaxxer or an anti-vaxxer. It's like, no, there's, there's nuance in between that. Most people that I've spoken to, for example, who are against the COVID vaccine are very much in favor of every other vaccine. And they should be able to challenge, you know, new science and all of this. But we're not allowed. Everything has got to be us versus them. And I think that's on purpose. I think a lot of that is divide and conquer. Because the, the more we focus on hating each other and tearing each other apart, the less we focus on the people who are making the rubbish decisions that are creating a mess in our country. Mm. Now, something that, that has been pointed out to me about, because um, I've seen your, your discussions um, and sort of tweets and stuff about about this sort of divide and conquer idea, but at the same time, then you end up writing or or broadcasting on, on channels, say like GB News, on talk radio, for the Telegraph, for the Mail, that tend to be quite at the forefront of this this like tribal politics is like do you see any problem with working for those those organizations no no no, they're not at the forefront of tribal politics at all what they are is right-leaning it doesn't mean they're at the forefront of 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 any of any of these tribal politics i think a lot of the times these are the ones fighting against it so gb news for example will always have someone who represents the left, someone who represents the right, or they'll have someone of opposing views and someone of pro views, and they want to have a debate and they want to thrash it out and find out what people think. That, to me, is what we all should be doing. I would, I would happily write for God, you know, I'd happily write for the mirror or name your left-wing rag, but they won't take me because they are so opposed to opposing views, you know? Um, everything I do, I try to be balanced, and I try to, you know, I put forward my own opinion, sure, but I try to be balanced and hear the other voice out, and the outlets that let me do that tend to be right-leaning because that's what right-leaning people do. The left do not want to hear it. So I don't think I go out there and say, I want to write for Telegraph, I want to write for Daily Mail. They're the ones that call me and say, what do you, what do you think about this? Would you like to write about this? I've approached people on the left. I've approached The Guardian and papers like that, and they just don't want to hear it. Mm. So you're saying that the reason that you're on these channels or you're writing for these papers is because they're the ones that allow you to express your opinion better than, say, more left-leaning outlets. Yeah, and, and we've seen this. So yesterday, there was a big debate on Twitter uh, with Owen Jones and myself and Andrew Doyle. And Owen Jones was like saying, you know, GB News have called me up a lot. I say, no, I'm not going on GB News. It's like, well, why? Because these people are the ones that criticize GB News and say, well, it's a, it's a right-wing rag, whatever. Uh, but then they're offering left-wing people a platform to go on, and you're turning them down. So, of course, it's going to be mostly right-wing people if you don't go on. It's, you know, it's just... A, catch one vicious cycle it's, and it's a nonsense what it is people are afraid of open and fair debate people want their safe space you know you know if you go on channel four that it's going to be mostly left-leaning and you're going to have a safe time uh and they're going to pit three or four left-wing people against one right-wing person but if you if you're looking for something open and fair and balanced i think you know channels like gb news and talk radio do that a lot better mm. I mean, I've definitely found over the past 18 months um, that I've had to go and listen to people on, on talk radio almost um, specific, quite specifically that that's the place where I'll at least see some discussion of issues, especially surrounding the lockdowns and the pandemic. And the, like people can think whatever they want about, about that. Like, but the thing that I've discovered is that these places have like genuinely tried to discuss like the the whole issue instead of following um 
And I believe it was Ofcom who actually like put out the guidance where there was specific things that they were not allowed to challenge or discuss, which to me is really, yeah, that is, that is terrifying. Um, and the, the, the thing that really scares me is this, is the censorship and not just the censorship is like, it's the fact that people are okay. I'm not okay. Like cheering it on. This is my biggest bugbear right now. So I've had an interview with a doctor, a professor. I won't name him because it's not fair on him. But I interviewed him on talk radio and on GB News, right? And I asked him questions about alternative solutions to the vaccine, the COVID vaccine. I wanted to know about hydroxychloroquine. I wanted to know about ivermectin. And I wanted to know, A, if they worked, and B, if they do work, why we're not using them. Is it because that we, in order to get these vaccines out, that may be fantastic, but in order to get them out, we had to declare that there were no alternative me- measures available. So we got emergency approval. Is that the case? Or is it the case that these drugs simply do not work and we need to stop talking about them? But Nowhere in the mainstream media is anyone addressing them. You're not allowed to ask the questions. So I ask the questions. And what I get as a response is all these, you know, what I would call Ramonas, but on the, on the vaccine side, these vaccine fanatics saying, how dare you promote and push these harmful, dangerous drugs? I'm, like, I'm not promoting, I'm pushing it. I want to know if they work, if they don't work. Why don't they work? Give me the science. You know, I'm asking the expert. I'm not an expert. I'm not saying I know anything. I, I know absolutely nothing. I'm ignorant, which is why I'm asking the questions. And that's what we should do if we don't know things. We should ask questions. But people don't want the questions asked, but that worries me more than anything. Yeah. You know, the yeah that's is, the, that's... If, if you're not allowed to question it, it's not science, it's propaganda. Mm. Yeah, but the yeah, for me it's it, it, that that disturbs me more than anything because it's like okay, like you, I can ask a dumb question and a scientist can point point out and say, Yeah, that was a dumb question, here's why it was a dumb question, or you can like make the stupidest argument possible. And uh, actually, the, the 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 time when when I almost saw people on the on the left sort of understand this was when they had the there was a big big um, anti vaccine passport or anti lockdown um, rally in in London about a month ago, and um, there was a whole bunch of speakers there, and they had to their detriment, some of the craziest people they could find seemingly talk. And they had mm. um, like David Icke mm. uh, and people like that. And and there was people being like, look at these crazy people. You know, it's great that we get to see how how, how mad they are because, you know, this is a gr- because no, but they, the, the, I think it was James O'Brien was like, look, now we, we get to see how crazy these people are. Maybe this is a good idea that they got to speak. And I was like, you're so close. <laughs> so close to understanding of my point. <laughs> but they didn't quite seem to get there. Um, it, yeah, it's a bit wild. But uh, one of the things I, want to, I wanted to speak to you about was uh, you had an, uh, an article a couple of days ago about um, the NHS mm. and... Um, how it was being used or how critical race theory was being used in the NHS. So I, I, I kind of wanted to, to, to get a bit more understanding of, of A, what, what critical race theory is, and then, yeah, how, it, how it's being deployed in the NHS in your view. Okay, so critical race theory to me is this idea that white people are privileged and black people are oppressed or victims in this country. And I think that's a false narrative. Uh, people who support it, in fairness, to provide some balance, people who support critical race theory would say it's not this idea that all white people are privileged. It's just that if you're white, you won't have been held back by the color of your skin in this country. But even that I disagree with because I've worked in schools in inner cities in this country and I've seen white kids be in the minority. I've seen them be racially abused. I've seen them be patronized and held back because of the color of their skin. 
I've seen that work, white working class boys in particular are held back more than any other demographic in this country other than gypsies and travelers. And that is because uh, of this imbalance. So we've got to stop dividing. Again, it comes down to division. It's, it's white kids versus black kids. Why? why? Why is it like that? Why are we not looking at even if you want to address demographics, look at what's happening in the working class community and try and plug the social divide between the haves and the have-nots. But even then, why don't we focus on giving all kids the best possible start in life, giving them all equal opportunities, no matter where they come from? That, to me, would be a better approach. But critical race theory is, is, is separating, separating us and dividing us based on the color of our skin. And it, it was a thought experiment in America. It was, okay, so if, if, if we redefine racism from discrimination or, or, or prejudice against someone based on their race, and we redefine it to a power struggle between white people and non-white people, would that help in the battle uh, of inequalities? And that was you know, the thought experiment. It's probably well-meaning, but it doesn't work in reality. It, works, it doesn't even work in academia, but that's where it started. And now we're seeing it infest all aspects of our public life. And the NHS have taken it on board, and they're hiring these diversity, equality, and inclusion heads or directors, or whatever they are, across the country, up and down the country, from £45,000 to £95,000 a year on their salaries. And all they do is, well, from what I can gather, is point at white people and say, you're racist, stop being racist. But it's a Kafka-esque trap, because it's, it's one of those things that if you say, actually, I'm not racist, that, that's evidence that you are covertly racist. So either you're overtly racist or covertly racist. You can't prove that you're not. There's no win situation for a white person in this argument. And likewise for black people. This idea that you're oppressed or a victim, like, well, I don't think that I am. I'm getting by quite well, thank you. I'm working hard and making something of my life. No, 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 but you would have been better if, if, if the white person wasn't getting in your way. And that's the problem of it. Um, then NHS are on one hand to say we need more money. On the other hand, it's splashing out tens and tens of thousands of pounds, if not hundreds of thousands of pounds, on these woke, ridiculous uh, nonsense. And we, you know, there's a blog that was published a year ago. I, I retweeted it. It got a lot of traction this week. But it was, it was a year-old blog addressed for dear white people, and it tells them, you know, be uncomfortable, and it was, it was just providing reading lists of really extreme left-wing people like Robin DiAngelo, who, you know, essentially, this self-flagellation, it's white-hating. But I, I pointed it out now because she's uh, reflected on it and released another blog that says, actually, I was right on this, and here on, here's more reading. But it's not balanced, it's not broad, it's not a curriculum, it's just indoctrination, and it's, again tribalism and it's, it's divisive and the NHS is supposed to heal and cure people it's not supposed to divide them and if you go to the NHS and it says white people be uncomfortable that's the exact opposite of what you want to hear from the NHS so what is what are the titles or like the actual job job title or description of the of the NHS directors that you're you're pointing to here like is what are they being hired to specifically do in 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 the well at least in their job description or like you said they're like their 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 job is to turn around and be like okay you're racist but like what what are they officially being told that their title is or or their job is that that this is what what's happening? Well, their job is supposedly to improve diversity, equality, and inclusion. So those, those things don't always match up. So diversity means different, equality means the same. So it's an oxymoron to start with. And inclusion, what does that mean? When we look at the NHS, it's probably the most diverse workforce in the country. Um, when we're speaking superficially yeah. about race. Um, but that's not the diversity that helps. The diversity that helps is diversity of thought and opinion, especially in science and medicine. You want different ideas, you want innovation, but they're not promoting that. They're lost in this identity politics of we need more brown faces. Why? What, what does that help? Anything or anyone? It doesn't. 
We want people that are going to come up with creative ideas to scientific problems and help with medicine and cures and prevention. Uh, so they've got it upside down, and I don't understand why or how. Why do you think there is this obsession with that borough? Because I understand um, that historically, at least, that there was very little um, representation of people from minority backgrounds on TV, on radio and TV shows and things like that, um, in the media especially. And um, so I understand where where this has its roots in. But uh, this is just like my my views on it. It's mm. just I, I don't see the huge barriers anymore that there is. Like I, I see friends of mine who are who are you know from from different races that are, are incredibly successful in their in their respective fields yep. um i remember making the point when when any time that uh someone says that like women are oppressed in <laughs> in this country that that i i always make the point is like well is that the case when uh, there was a one point i think four or five years ago where our prime minister was a woman the um the leader of the largest party in Scotland was a woman. The leader of the largest um, Welsh party was a woman. The leader of the Liberal Democrats um, was was uh, yeah was going to become a woman uh, in Joe Swinson. There was uh, the leader of the two sorry three largest parties in Northern Ireland were all women. And uh, it, the to me, I'm just like as a woman. Yeah, representation is a nonsense. It doesn't work. It's, I, I have a big problem with this. Um, just can we pause a sec because my batch is flashing. I've plugged it in. The one of the things I want to ask you about is this uh, this idea of the the vaccine passports. Now it's been it was touted by um, the vaccines minister, and then they said they weren't definitely definitely not going to do it. We could hold them to it. There was no need to concern ourselves. And then, um, well, lo and behold, uh, it comes along and um, turns out they're going to do it. Um, not that that surprised anyone. Right. They, they, yeah, it's all everything they say is just. The opposite then happens but i have been trying to explain to people why this is a bad idea because i believe it's just the worst idea in the long list of bad ideas that this government has had um where do you stand on the issue um and and why i think if we're going to divide society again it's back to division into the clean and the unclean um the vaccinated and the unvaccinated this going to become so problematic i don't understand why we're going down this route it seems to suggest that the latest research from Oxford shows that the double-vaxxed and the unvaxxed have the same likelihood of getting infected and spreading this, this, this illness as, long, as far as the Delta variant goes. Um, and in regards to the rest of the coronavirus, um, or COVID-19 at least, it seems to suggest, or most scientists suggest, that if you're vaccinated, you're less likely or somewhat less likely to spread it. But they can't tell you by how much. So. When you're vaccinated or not, you can still get the, the virus, you can still spread the virus. So to suggest that only vaccinated people can go to a venue or do something in normal life and unvaccinated people can't doesn't make medical sense, but also it doesn't make sense for civil liberties. It doesn't make sense for a so-called free society to say that you're only allowed to access normal parts of life if you have taken a medical procedure. The precedent that says the state can dictate what you do and what you put in your body. Uh, I mean, they could say, you know, you have to have an abortion if you have a male child. For example, it's not that far. People keep saying, well, we never did something that's totalitarian in this country. But look at everything that's happened over the past 18 months. 
I never in a million years thought that the government of the United Kingdom would say, you're not allowed to leave your own home. You're not allowed to hug your loved ones. You're not allowed to invite people in your own home. I've said it time and time again, but Englishman's home is his castle, or at least it was. We've lost all of that because they're copying tactics used in communist China of all places. And it's this obsession with not necessarily looking what works scientifically, but looking what other countries are doing. Why are we so interested in what other countries are doing? Let them fail in their own ways. We should be looking at what, what is scientifically um, provable, but also what stands by our principles, our values, our morals, and none of this, but we've lost all that. And I don't get why, what is the agenda? If, like I say, if the difference between the vaccinated and the unvaccinated is not that much, it seems to me that, you know, it prevents serious illness and it prevents death a lot more. So it's a personal choice. It doesn't really affect those around you. Therefore, why are we dividing society based on that? The only thing that I can, the only assumption I can make of all of this is that the more that we focus on dividing ourselves amongst the vaccinated and the unvaccinated, the, the mask wearers, the non-mask wearers, the Brexiteers, the non-mask wearers, on the people who are creaming off the top, the people who are giving their mates the PPE contracts, um, spending 300 billion pounds that we don't have uh, amongst their friends, the less we are focused on them, the more we're focused on each other. It's, it's, it's divide and conquer. We need to stop it. Yeah, it's it's really disturbing. There's some of the measures that, that have really freaked me out, to be honest, um, and I've been listening to, and I would recommend this this podcast to literally everybody um, that that is is sort of slightly worried about this, or just anyone generally, is, a, is a, um, an interview with uh jordan peterson and oh my goodness what is the guy's name um it's escaping me right now hang on let me let me double check this but essentially they're discussing um the relationship between uh this thing called parasite stress and um how it affects people's political viewpoints so they're going through a whole bunch of different um different things that like have uh, been shown to increase people's um yeah like and influence people's political viewpoints and it's um, the the idea that it's this is the, the idea that parasite stress or like the the fear of infectious diseases increases both our conservatism and our collectivist instincts. And the the some of the points that we're bringing up were really terrifying. Now, obviously, again, we are not at this point yet. But things they, they were bringing up statistics like there's a quite a close correlation between in parts of Germany in the 1930s who voted for the Nazis and the number of Spanish flu deaths that were had in that region. That is terrifying to me. There's also um, just things like little little anecdotes like Mussolini, for example, um, banned handshakes because it was unclean. And like, yeah, yeah. Like I just, I, and they say these things and I'm just like, I, I, I don't enjoy, like I, I get terrified at the path that we're treading. It's not where we're at yet is that we're following the footsteps of 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 um of history where things have ended up in a really terrifying place and then oh here it is it's dr randy thornhill um yeah. that so yeah so the, uh, i highly recommend this to anyone but so i tend to josh i tend to avoid any conversation that so it brings nazism into it because I, th- I feel like at that point you've lost the audience you know what i mean uh, but it, it's so difficult not to because We've asked for years and years, or we've had thought experiments for years and years, saying, you know, if I was around in Nazi Germany, would I have complied? Would I have been complicit? Or would I have said, no way, we can't do this abhorrent thing? And I think we're seeing that in our society right now. The people that are 
yeah, but it's because of a pandemic. Oh, yeah, but it's because of this, giving away their freedoms and dividing society and essentially making people wear a yellow badge for not having had uh, a medical procedure. We're seeing how many people would have been complicit in mm. Nazi Germany at this mm. part of time. Yeah, well, we can. We don't have to, to tread that path. It's just, I just, yeah, I've, I've been listening to it, and it's, 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 it's a, just a scary representation of where societies can go when we don't, um, when we don't realize what we're doing whilst we're doing it. Um, uh, the, the thing that, like, and you mentioned that before, that the, that we, we've had no real like debate discussion on a lot of these issues, and, and the, you brought up the fact that uh, there's no difference at least in the delta variant according to like oxford um oxford university research in terms of like spreading or contracting um covid now why do you think that's not brought up in this discussion about about vaccine passports because it it just it blows the entire like premise of why you would do it out of the water and yet there's there's never a, that's never brought up by any journalist by anyone discussing it it just is it's like it's like a non-fact like it doesn't exist in the, in the realm of these discussions but obviously it's very crucial because that would be the underlying premise of why people would want to introduce it well we've got blinkers on it's the same with vaccinating children i've said all along it's not okay to vaccinating children if they don't need the vaccine so we've, we've seen the evidence suggests that 12 to 15 year olds actually uh, their natural immunity is stronger than the vaccine uh the risks of COVID to them are less severe than the vaccine. The adverse risks from the vaccine are worse for them. Therefore, there's no medical reason for them to take the vaccine, only political reasons, such as, you know, people are saying, well, it, sh it will shield the rest of us, it will shield the vulnerable. But of course it doesn't really, because if the vulnerable have been vaccinated, they're just as likely to catch it if they, as if they haven't, or maybe it's like that, but it doesn't protect them. Therefore, these decisions aren't being made based on a medical basis. And we just have to ask ourselves, why? It's the same with the vaccine possible. It's not going to help anyone medically. So why is it being pushed so strongly? The only reason, the only thing I can come up with is division. But I'm sure there might be other political reasons out there and people are willing, you know, people can make up their own minds. Hmm. So to, to try and move to more, a more positive um, discussion to, to sort of wrap the interview up is that I've been trying to, to figure out how we move past this division between people and how we combat the, the, the increasing tribalism and polarization and, and, and just sort of, yeah, the, this huge chasm that seems to like op be opening up in society where we, we're not very good at, at like actually like talking to each other anymore. Like what would be your sort of path forwards in, in this, uh, in this situation? First of all, we need to learn to debate well and to argue well and to lose an argument and feel accept that. We need to be arguing in good faith and assume that the other person has best, our best interests at heart just as much as we do. This is the problem we have with the right and left quite often. Which is a cliche, but you know, the right tends to think that the left are wrong, whereas the left thinks that the right are evil. And that's it. You can't. no point the game whereas we should have like arguments based on nuance and understanding that somewhere in the middle ground we can probably come to a compromise that we'd all agree on because everybody better world everyone wants this country to be better for everyone we just have different ideas and different opinions on how you get there so starting from good faith wouldn't be a good point to, to, to stop at. but then we have to move past that and focus on the things that unite us rather than the things that divide us so we have to have leadership strong leadership that is putting forward positive ideas and uniting us based on whether it's the flag or the, or the sovereign or it doesn't matter what the idea is but it has to be a principle that people can get behind so 
we've had too many political divides since I, I honestly do think a lot of this started in Brexit, but it hasn't stopped there. You know, mm. people that attack me on Twitter now, they have the 3.5% in their name, they have FBPE, they have the Blue Heart. So they're conflating a lot of different issues, but it's the same demographic, it's that same metropolitan liberal elite who tend to think that they are progressive and liberal. Because having an idea that just being progressive doesn't make your idea good. And that because they think that they're good, they think everyone else is evil. And I don't think that I'm evil. I don't necessarily think that all my ideas are good. But because they're in that mind space, everyone else is fair game. So they're willing to attack you, the person, and not the idea. And we need to get back away from attacking the, the person and get back to the idea and pr provide alternative solutions or, or break down the argument. Tell people why they're wrong. Sure, but do that. And don't just say, you're a Nazi, you're a whatever, because that doesn't, doesn't help anyone. It doesn't win anyone over. And there's so much middle ground in, in this country. Not everyone is on the far left and the far right. Um, so we need good leadership. We don't have that at the moment. Um, we need to learn to debate well, disagree well. Is there any figures that you identify in British politics as as a leader whom you would say has has put has been has conducted themselves well, who has been open to perhaps different ideas, or someone who's just principled enough to 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 try and and show some sort of of like yeah leadership as as such. I've been I've been trying to identify people like this and. And I'm I'm scared at the lack of people like this. And honestly, no, you're going to disagree with this. The, the, there's there's two people that I have seen that have shown some level of nuance and understanding. The first one I think you'll like is uh, is Charles Walker um, or Sir Charles Walker, uh, the backbencher um, of the Conservative Party. And the only other person that I have seen who has tried to avoid the division was uh, has been Jeremy Corbyn. Um, I remember he was asked about vaccinations and his, his vaccination status um, on TV, and he just flat out refused. He was like, I'm not going to play these games. And I, 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 I gained like a new level of respect when he said that. I was like, you know, I really wish we had more people who were willing to, to sort of try and sidestep the division and, and then still make their case. But is there anyone yeah. you've seen? I struggle. Um, they don't necessarily have to be a politician. No, but it comes down to integrity. And a lot of people in the public eye don't have as much integrity as I would like them to have. Uh, there, are, there are a few people that agree with on certain issues. Um, and politician-wise, you know, Tom Tuggenhall over Afghanistan, so as Tobias Elwood. Nigel Farage is obviously really good on Brexit. Um, Kemi Badenov has been good on cultural issues. Uh, Corbyn, I wouldn't agree on that issue because I think on certain issues like that, he fenced it. So on Brexit as well, he fenced that, if that's a phrase. But you need, sometimes you need to come down, uh, declare your stance, and then argue for the other side too. I think that's the, that's the step further that he, that he never actually gets to. Um, who's the other person you mentioned? Uh, Sir Charles Walker. Right, so Sir Charles, the problem with Sir Charles Walker, he's been sound on a lot of stuff. And in fact, this is the problem with the whole of the backbench situation in the Tories, and that, I think at this point, they're almost controlled opposition. And I don't believe in that phrase. I argue against that phrase all the time. People say, oh, you're controlled opposition. This is that. But I think they actually are, because if you think about it, the 1922 committee, for example, people say, well, the 1922 committee, uh, they, they'll um, hold the government to account or they'll stand up against this issue. But actually, what do they do? They, they murmur around, they say, oh, we're going to, we're going to we're potentially going to call a vote of no confidence, we're potentially going to do this, that, and the other, and nothing actually comes from it. 
Mm-hmm. It's like Pretty Patel, you know, I supported her for the longest time. She talks tough. I'm like, yeah, this is my kind of girl, you know, strong immigration. Yes, thank you. But what has she done since she's been in office? We've had more people cross that channel, more illegal immigrants cross that channel than ever I can remember. This is the problem. It's all talk. And the 1922 committee has more bark than bites. And we need backbenchers to stand up. Look at the vote. We t- I don't know when this is Um, on the healthcare situation, there were five rebels in the Tory party, five. There's a majority of 80, they can afford to rebel if they don't agree with something. A lot of them are abstained, fair enough. I don't believe in abstentions. I think if you're against something, vote against it. Um, you know, but have, have a spine for goodness sake. There are, no, there are very few people with spines in politics, very few people with true integrity and principles that they're willing to stand for and die on those hills. Um, too many people are concerned about their careers. Let's go to the vaccine minister. You know, people stand up in politics and say, I don't agree with this, but I'm going to vote for it. What? If you don't agree with something and you're a minister, honour would suggest that you resign from the government. I'll make that clear. And people aren't doing that anymore because people don't have honour and integrity. And it's for shame because it's our parliamentary democracy that is rotting away. We don't have parliamentary scrutiny anymore. A lot of these guidance, guidelines and regulations are being pushed through almost like a dictatorship. The cabinet doesn't even have a say in a lot of things. We just get the last minute and push through on emergency regulations. Not democratic, not in the way that we, you know, we parliamentary democracy around the world. It's one of the great British legacies, and we're forgetting our values. We're forgetting who we are, and it will be to our detriment. Yeah, I mean, I, I am, I, yeah, yeah, I, I really agree. It's uh, the 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 democracy that that we were supposed to have seems to be very rapidly crumbling amidst the sort of collapse of, of a lot of the principles like things like collective responsibility like it would it would be it would be unthinkable under like even if you just go back 10 years to to the or well not even 15 years to the Blair government like to to imagine that a, a cabinet minister would come out openly and say I disagree with this policy and then remain in his position is would just it doesn't it doesn't it wouldn't happen like the the, the idea of collective cabinet responsibility has been thrown out the window and uh, yeah it's it's concerning but um anyway calvin uh i want to really thank you for your time do you want to tell people uh where they can find you and your work uh before we finish up here i'm sure follow me on facebook um it's facebook.com slash calvin robinson or telegram which is t.me slash calvin robinson of course i'm on twitter but i'm always worried that twitter are going to cancel me one day so try and follow me on one of those two fantastic right well i will put links for everything for everyone in the in the description below um but yeah thanks very much for your time man it was a it was a pleasure to get to chat to you the pleasure was all mine thank you josh thanks for making it all the way to the end of the podcast don't forget our sponsor expressvpn and my book brexit the establishment civil war can both be found in the links in the description below and also please like share and subscribe to this podcast it's the best way to help us grow until next time thanks for listening The animal dragged a child around its enclosure. The child had fallen into that enclosure. Officials are now defending their actions. ABC's Alex. A few things I am not. I'm not a cat. I am not an institutional investor, nor am I a hedge fund. There's no panic selling. These people, you know, they may have bought at $4, sat through $400, went back to 40, went to 350, back down to 110, and they have not sold. All they've done is bought more. And there's no answer for that. There's no, they, they, 
you know, it, it is like art of war mastery by a bunch of idiots who should know better. And they're just, they're just like, I'm not fucking leaving. Fly me to the moon. Let me play among the stars. Let me see what spring is like on Jupiter and Mars. What's been happening on Reddit and in social media and in the marketplace has never been seen before. Uh, the short 70, 60, 80% of a company, let alone 140%, I think a lot of people universally believe something is wrong there. They're powerful, they want to stock higher. It's child's play. Why ever sell into the maw of Wall Street? Yeah, Reddit bets. Why? 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 But everyone's wrong. It's like the big short again. Or more like the big short squeeze this time, right? So here we got the fox guarding the hen house. And one of the hens is complaining. The fox is out to kill us. And the farmer says, I'm sorry. The fox is in charge of the hen house. Whenever there is not billions, but like trillions of dollars involved in something, it I, I argue that nothing is off the table. The way they have absolutely cheated, stolen, robbed everyday people so all our hedge fund billionaire friends can get out and not get killed is one of the most remarkable, illegal, shocking robberies in the history of, in plain sight. Super Stonk and the other communities that have emerged are a hive mind, the likes of which we have never seen before. It's madness and brilliance, insanity and genius all rolled into one. It's very possible that Citadel will be gone in a few months. And, and not just Citadel, but the entire financial system has the potential to come crashing down. These crooks continue to gamble recklessly with the world economy and this could be the moment that they finally get their justice. You got maybe 10 million people doing this who now own you know probably more than 100 million shares and eventually you know they might own everything <laughs>